I heard a, uh, or actually I read a story of a young girl who wrote a letter. Dear God, are boys better than girls? I know you are one, but try to be fair. And so I'm here to affirm some truths. One is that women are equal in person with men and difference in essence. In saying that, there's a more specific statement to be made, and that is, if we are equal in person and different, in essence, how are we different and how are we equal? Because some people today attempt to say, if you are equal in person, then you cannot be different in function. And so that's what we're going to deal with. So let me, first of all, take you to a little graph here to help you understand where I'm coming from. It seems that so much... We as Christians talk about this area right here, limitations on the ministry of women. And all of our efforts are given to that task. And even as uh, you were saying a few moments ago, that is true, that, that the Scripture is really quite plain on what are the limitations. And I'm going to be saying a few things about that in a moment. But what is oftentimes not dealt with is the second one in the bigger circle that I have here. Everything outside of that little circle is what are the opportunities for women in ministry. And so little is said about that. Now, I suppose that we sometimes have to spend time on the limitations because there's a constant onslaught from those individuals that either do not believe the Bible or distort the Bible in reference to this matter. And if, you know, there are many books on the area... A very fine book, Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, put out by the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Big, thick book. Won Christianity Today uh, Book of, Year, of the Year Award. If you want to check that out, I think it's probably here on campus in the bookstore. At least I saw it down at the seminary. Uh, another book you may want to check out, the one I have. And we go through the various arguments and try to help you understand what occurred in the time of the New Testament, uh, what occurred after the time of the New Testament, what kinds of ministries were women involved in. And, and those are very interesting points, and we'll say a few things about them. But on the other hand, where I really want to spend some time this morning is what are the opportunities that we have for women in ministry today and how do we go about opening up greater uh, ministries for women to serve the, uh, the Lord. So the first thing we're going to talk about, as you'll see on the overhead here, is where may a woman minister in the church today? What are the restrictions? So we need to at least clarify where we are, that little circle. And we're going to move from that to the big circle. Restrictions on women's ministries, and there are some clear restrictions. Now, a person doesn't have to like the restrictions. As a Christian, you simply have to obey them. Uh, There are lots of things in our lives, probably as Christians, that we sometimes chafe at. And we say, well, I would rather do something else. But God has certain standards, and if we're going to be obedient to our Lord then we're going to follow the standards, whether we either understand it or agree with it. So, first of all, a woman should not be an elder or a functional equivalent. Now, the reason why I use the word functional equivalent is because sometimes people call the same kind of function a different name. Uh, In the South, where I spent a a lot of, most of my life, in Southern Baptist churches, for example, they talk about deacons. But when you start looking at the functions of many of the deacons, they really look more like functions of elders. And uh, even though they sometimes call the pastor like the equivalent of what we might think of as a a function of the elders. So there's a confusion as to the functions between elders and deacons. 
And so whatever we're going to use as a word, those people that function like elders in the New Testament, women, are not allowed to function in that capacity in the church over men. Secondly, she should not teach men the word of God. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over men. Now, without going into an in-depth exegesis of what that's all about, and there's a lot of controversy, uh, what it's essentially saying is that women do not have a responsibility in the church of teaching men the Word of God. It's not talking about, talking about mathematics. It's not discussing the question of astronomy. It's talking specifically about talking about the Word of God. What is God saying? What is the revelation of God seeking to communicate? And how should you conform your life to that communication? One thing we need to recognize is that in the time of the New Testament, teaching was not sometimes as we use the terminology. Teaching in the New Testament followed the rabbinical practice, or in some respect, the peripatetic practice of the Greeks, where you had an individual who was a master, so to speak, of the disciples, and that person would give them teaching that he expected them to believe, and he expected them to follow, to emulate, even after him. And so the teaching in the New Testament is not merely imparting information, but asking people to commit themselves to what is being taught. In some respects, like reprove, rebuke, correct, instruct, and righteousness that elders are given in the New Testament. Thirdly, the woman is not to exercise spiritual authority over men. Now, I think in this passage we could sometimes have a disagreement on what we mean by spiritual authority or authority in general. But in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says that women, he does not permit them to exercise authority. And in that passage, it's my understanding of the text, that he's talking about authority that relates to the functions within the church. Clearly, women have authority in other spheres of life. If nothing else, in the home, she has a secondary authority under the husband in the home. In other words, she has authority from God as a parent for her children to obey her even as they obey the husband. There is authority there. I think there's authority outside those spheres also. But spiritual authority, there's no question that women are not allowed that in the church. Authority to function as an elder, to rebuke in the church, to discipline in the church, to, uh, to as I gave before, reprove, rebuke, and correct and instruct in righteousness. Next, she uh, should not be given permission by leadership to violate the restrictions above. I've seen some people, they go back to the old King James translation, and it says there that women are not to usurp authority. Now, that's King James. That's not Greek. Uh, the particular Greek word there, and it uh, it's only occurs one time in the New Testament, but we found several instances of that word outside the New Testament in the secular world, and the word essentially means, without getting into uh, little shades of meaning, it means to exercise authority over another. And so, uh, in view of that, uh, it's not usurp authority. It's not the fact that women can get up and do the things that Paul says they can't do as long as they don't nudge their way in and, 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 and don't get permission. As I understand the text, we as leaders in the church, if we're in a local church, we do not have God's permission to violate God's commands to give other people permission. See, I don't have the right to, to go against what God says and give you permission to do something else. And so there is no such thing in my understanding of the text on that matter. Next, she should not function in a parachurch ministry in a capacity that she violates restrictions given above. And all this being said there is that in the days of the New Testament, there was only one basic church structure, that is the local church. Now, you did have some itinerant ministries like Paul's ministry and others running around the empire and, and, and ministering. And, and Paul had many people that followed him, a number of women, a number of men that went around as a gospel team. 
and it went from city to city. And, and, and in that kind of situation, we sort of have a parachurch ministry. But today we have really broadened that concept to all sorts of contexts, and without mentioning a number of groups, you know them. And so in these parachurch groups, what we've done sometimes is we've arrogated to ourselves in those parachurch organizations duties that we have God giving to the local church. Now, I'm not even arguing that's wrong particularly. All I'm saying is if you're going to take on the mission of the church as your, as your parachurch ministry, if you're going to take on teaching like a college or seminary, if you're going to take on some edification principle and building up people like a, maybe a men's or women's ministry, or whatever you're talking about, when you arrogate to yourself those uh, duties that God has given, you also should take to yourself the restrictions that come with the duties. It's sort of not half and half. You don't get your cake and eat it too, so to speak. Uh, when you say you take on a, a teaching ministry, like in a seminary or someplace like that, when you take that on, you also take calling restrictions on that ministry. That would be a principle that I think we should observe, and we can talk about why more later. Lastly, she should not argue that her equality in Christ gives her a right to do what God has restricted to men. We have an example of a similar kind of thing, not with women per se, but in the Old Testament, in number 16, we have a group of individuals who came to Moses and say, who do you think you are? I mean, after all, are we not Israelites too? Are we not in the image of God too? Are we not people just like you are? Why do you think that you have a right to do certain things and we don't? See, the point of it is God put Paul, uh, excuse me, God put Moses uh, in a position of responsibility. And just the fact that Moses and the other people you know, they, they both had eyes that watered, and they both had to eat food, and they were both equally human beings. The point of it is, God gave Moses and some of the people with him certain responsibilities, and just because you're equal with them in person does not mean that there is not a limitation on your ministry. Another example. There are no doubt, as intelligent and morally pure and proficient and intelligent individuals in Israel uh, besides the tribe of Levi. But do you know what? If you were not physically born in that tribe, tough luck. You couldn't be a priest. And so it's not an issue of intelligence or proficiency or articulation or purity or any of those questions. It's a question that God sometimes simply makes decisions in certain ways, and all you have to do is be obedient. Now, that's not a very popular concept in our culture sometimes, that we have to be under authority. But that's the Bible, and that's all I can give you today the Bible. Now, having said all of that, let's move to the next section. What are opportunities for women in church ministry? Let's look at some initial considerations, and this is the rest of the talk. We have a bigger piece of the pie here, and I want to reiterate again that we spend so much time developing, and I guess we've had to because of the defense of the faith kind of idea, developing the limitations that we have spent so little time talking about the opportunities. Women are gifted people, right? I've been told that there's a majority of women here. It's sort of quiet. I don't know. But nevertheless, women are gifted people, just like men. There is no difference in God's economy on the equipping of the saints. We find that certain individuals in the church, the leadership of the church, is given for equipping of the saints. But what does it go on to say in Ephesians chapter 4? That the saints might do what? The work of the ministry. Anybody here that are saints that are female? Right? Okay, some of the women out here, you're fe right, you're female. Female people, female members of the human race, 
they have a responsibility, just like men, according to Ephesians 4, since they're part of the church, to be involved in doing the work of the ministry. So clearly, uh, there's that responsibility on the part of women. Secondly, we find out in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that God, the Spirit, distributes to the body of Christ gifts. Now, you're familiar with the gifts. And you've read down the passage in 1 Corinthians 12. Let's not go into 14. But in 1 Corinthians 12, you have all these kinds of gifts. Are women given these gifts? You think they are? Now oh, you're dead. Wake up. Are women given the gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12? Yes. And if they're given the gifts, do you think God expects them to use them? Yes. And so the issue is, are church, is church leadership going to create structures in which women can do the work of the ministry and exercise their gifts? And I hope the answer is yes. When we look in 1 Corinthians 12, we see that women, I believe, as well as men, I'm going to trip up on this, <laughs> women as well as men are given gifts that deal with teaching, that deal with what? Any others? Prophecy? Any others? Administration? Helps? Service, mercy, all sorts of gifts. So women are given these gifts alongside men. So what we need to do as a church is to be sure within the limitations that God has clearly given us in His Word that we should not violate, say, let's find things that women can do. And we're going to talk about some of those things in a moment. But the distribution of the gifts. Let's move on then. So if we recognize that, What are some principles that we can use in seeking to establish women in the ministry? If you look in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 14 following, Titus chapter 2, 6 through 10, and many other passages, you find that those passages, and I can't take time to read those today or my time would be gone, but you read them, and I suggest also read 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 3, and these other things we've looked at, Ephesians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. These are all important passages. But in these passages, we talk about the kinds of attitudes, the kinds of, of uh, uh, life, all the various aspects of our being that should give us proper spiritual qualification. It is reasonable to assume that if women are going to exercise ministry for God, that they have obligations as far as their quality of life their spiritual relationship to God, their relationship to others, their moral quality of life, all those things that men have. The admonitions of the Bible on how we ought to live as people are not written merely to men. They are written to men and women alike. And in view of that, we have spiritual qualities that women are expected to have. What kind of life do they have before the Lord? Uh, do they manifest spiritual attitudes? What kind of motives do they have? I'm reminded, and you can read it in the book if you read it, uh, a statement made by one popular uh, feminist author uh, who says that, and, and speaks almost in glowing terms. If I had ever given this example, I would have been called a sexist, you realize. But she gave it, so it's okay. She's talked about some friend of hers 
that smiled her way into the church board and used her cunning and friendliness and various kinds of what I would consider the improper motives to try to get to a position of authority. And this feminist writer says this with, with glee and, and approval. Men nor women should do that. A proven track record. That is, no one, men, man or woman, men or women, no one should be put into a position of authority unless they have demonstrated something in their past that shows that they have a credibility and a sustainability in the Christian work. It's so easy for someone to be put into a position and because they have uh, just simply whatever, maybe they're a CPA, so obviously they have a certain gift in the church, right? They have the gift of, of, uh, of administration or something. Or someone who has uh, uh, some other gift out in the world or some other talent, we immediately put them into a position. How many people, now here we are in California, uh, how many people in this, this, this state that have been well-known personalities, either in you know some sport or maybe in Hollywood or whatever, a singer, uh, they become a Christian and the first thing, what happens? You take that person, you throw them into the public spotlight, you parade them around, and before you know it, they're not around anymore. And, of course, we get a bag mark in our eyes again. Why is that? Because to be good in one area doesn't mean that you're somehow a spiritual mature Christian. It doesn't matter if you're President Bush, it doesn't matter if you're Bob Dylan or whoever you are. If you do become a Christian, you're a baby Christian. Rank in this world doesn't mean rank in God's world. And so you need a proven track record. That person needs to demonstrate faithfulness and integrity and capabilities before just like men. There must be a willingness to serve. Now, that's a problem today. And don't get me wrong. Uh, like I said, this is up with women chapel. Because I believe that women, and I like women. I have a, a wife and a daughter. See, so I like women. It's okay. Women are good people, right? But if, uh, if we have a situation where in our world, if you have a feminist and you give her a place of service, the first thing, oftentimes, and I've encountered this, you don't want me in the paying position, do you? You don't want me in positions of authority, do you? And, of course, in some respects, really, I don't. But nonetheless, it's the idea that we're not willing to take the role of the servant. Let me tell you something. Every one of us, no matter how high or mighty we think we are, are to be servants. And one of the great problems with the church today is that you have too many people who do not see themselves as servants, who want to make a name for themselves instead of a name for Christ. And then the right priorities. She must have in her mind to do the things that greatly glorify the Lord. So what are some areas of women's ministries? First of all, edification of the body, as I've said in Ephesians chapter 4. When we look at edification of the body, we can think of all sorts of structures within the local church and within other parachurch organizations in which women can be involved in trying to build up the saints. Now, one example for that, I think, might be the area of, of, uh, of counseling. Now, I'm not going to get into big discussions on it. You know, you can get into fine points on this and, and uh, you can cause all sorts of different uh, habit. But nonetheless, nonetheless, uh, we do clearly have the admonition in Scripture that women are to be ministering to the needs of women. How many ministers, how many pastors, ministries would not now be shipwrecked if you'd had a strong woman on the, on the, uh, in some capacity in the church who would take care of the counseling needs of women? There's a couple of things there. One is men, in general, simply do not understand some of the needs of women. 
Living with two women, I know that. I don't understand them. And But they have needs that I don't have. They have concerns and they have ideas and sensitivities. I am not as sensitive as I ought to be. I know that. And, and so some of these things, uh, a woman on the... Uh, and I'm careful how I say this because I go back and, and in just a minute I'll go back and qualify this a little bit. But a woman on the church staff in some respects functioning as a counselor to women or maybe in women's ministries could be one of the greatest things that we could ever do for the church. I'm very, as a matter of fact, I believe that if you were to start a church, get a senior pastor, the number two slot or number three slot ought to be as someone who's in charge of women's ministries. That'd be it. I mean, number two or three. Because half the church are women, and they have special needs that we need to address uh, in leadership in the church. And so one of the ways that can be done, I think, is in counseling, and I think that's very important. Now, whether you should counsel men, we can debate that issue. Uh, but I, all I would say is I think a, a counterpart at least close to that will be in the situ- situation of Aquila and Priscilla. And so you can read that yourself, and I won't go into it. Women may testify before other believers concerning God's work. Now, when I grew up, I grew up in a Pentecostal church, and I want you to know we had testimony service. And does anybody ever have testimony service? Have you ever had that? You get up and testify? Yeah. And you get up and tell about what the Lord has been doing in your life. That's a very important part of ministry, edification of the body. See, that's what testimony is. It's very similar to the Hebrew concept of praise, where you have declarative or descriptive praise, and you stand up before the congregation and say, this is how God is, and this is what God has done. Matter of fact, I think it's unfortunate that we don't do some of that sometimes. Uh, where I am right now, we don't do that. But I think that would be a tremendous opportunity for women to be involved in edifying the body by saying, listen, let me tell you what God is doing in my life that may be different from what God is doing in some other man's life. Women can add a dimension and a perspective that men simply cannot give to the church. Now, can women testify? I think so, because if, if they can do certain things I'm going to talk about, surely they can testify. Use a reverse a fortiori argument. You knew what that was. But in the issue of the resurrection, who were the first people that brought the message of the resurrection and testified about the risen Savior? A bunch of quiet women. So... You had these people come after the resurrection and they told the disciples who were cowering in the room about the risen Savior. And Jesus appeared to these women. They brought the testimony. A second thing now is service in the church. Now, I'm going to take this one right here. Women may teach children. Now, I've put that first because sometimes that's been denigrated. Because women were basically only involved in raising funds for the missionary group, you know, are teaching children. Some women have said, man, I don't want to teach children. You know, I don't want to be involved in that low kind of activity. I want to be up in front of the group. Let me tell you something. There's hardly any more important work for anyone than teaching children. As a matter of fact, my wife has just recently taken a nursery ministry in our church and doing a phenomenal job. And she, she, she can't get enough help because she just took the bull by the horns and said, let's do it. And had a bunch of guys who were basically in the room and, and they were trying to, you know, well, I don't know if we can do this or that. You know, she said, listen, you know, make up your mind. And you'd have to know my wife. But um, teaching children, ministering to children is one of the greatest ministries that women can do. And I think women are especially equipped by God for that capacity. I'm not saying every woman. And I'm not saying there are not some men that do a very good job. But on the other hand, I think that's a very important ministry that we should not denigrate. Now, the next one is going to raise some hairs. <laughs> Women may be deacons in the church. You realize this is my personal opinion. 
women may be deacons in the churches. Now, I could use the word deaconess, but let me tell you why I think that's so. And I've examined this passage in 1 Timothy 3.11, and there's a debate here whether we're talking about wives or deacons or whether we're talking about deaconesses. It's not my intent to go through the exegesis of that passage today, read the book. But I think the, the, when you start balancing the argument in 1 Timothy chapter 3, in my opinion, the argument clearly falls on the side of deaconesses. And there's a very strong tradition in the history of the church dating from the first century all the way to the second and third centuries, both in eastern and western churches, that you have the office of deaconess. Now, if you're talking about deaconess in the sense of a Southern Baptist church, then where you got them acting like elders, I'd say no. So it's according to how you use the word. If you're talking about women that are set aside in the church for the ministry of special service and, and uh, uh, to women then I say we need a few of them. Individuals that can can do some of the house calls to women that are having difficulty and in the hospital and their homes. At uh, times, women that are uh, having struggles and, and questions of maybe their pregnancy and need counsel in that regard. Uh, women who can minister in capacity. As a matter of fact, in the early 2nd century church, uh, oftentimes the widows, they had three classifications, virgins, deaconesses, and widows in the, in the church of the 2nd, 3rd century, and also some of the 1st century. And they, they come out of these passages, if you read the church fathers. And uh, in those situations, you have uh, women that oftentimes help the elders of the church in baptism because they thought it was more appropriate for a woman to be involved in the helping of the baptism than it was of the man. Now, whatever you think about that, the point of it is, there's a place for women to minister in the physical and spiritual needs of the congregation. And uh, I don't think this is an ordained office. I don't think it's an office of teaching. I think it's only an office of service. But I think a strategic and a very important office. And I don't think the New Testament precludes women from that capacity. Now, women may function in administrative roles that do not relate to the functions of an elder and spiritual authority. Can a woman be an administrator in a local church? My answer is yes. Again, it's according to how you define these things. If what you're dealing with in the local church or in the parachurch organization or in the college or in the seminary does not deal with the issues of being a spiritual authority of, of rule, reprove, rebuke, correct, instruct in righteousness, dealing like Timothy was called to do by the apostle, the teaching of the word over men, if you're not talking about those things and you're talking about merely administrative, technical uh, kinds of activities, I believe that women can function in those kind of capacities. I believe women are, have those gifts and uh, if again, if I would want to see the job description before I'd want to check off on it, okay? Understand me. I want to see the job description and see what is she going to do or not do. But once I see the job description and it's not an exercise of spiritual authority, I say put her to it. Because women are tremendously gifted oftentimes at organization. If you want to, I've been in politics a lot. Man, if you want to see people to know how to work, it's not men. You know, give me one woman to four men because they know how to get a job done. I use my wife as an example. If she was still waiting for those people on that committee to do something, we wouldn't even have a nursery. And this is a pretty good-sized church, and it was lousy. And people were leaving. I mean, you know, and, and, uh, and now she has total support. She didn't usurp authority over them, but she did stir the stir them on to uh, loving good works. So uh, we, we have a situation where women are very gifted in administration, and I think we should use women in those capacities as long as it doesn't in any way uh, go against the scriptural teaching on spiritual authority. Now, ministries to other women. 
Titus 2, 3 following tells us clearly that older women are to teach younger women. How many times have you ever seen that in place? How many of your churches has a program that deals with older women helping younger women? Fantastic. I've never seen this many. That's great. It ought to be everywhere. Uh, there's a need for spiritually mature women to help other women that are younger. And a lot of issues. And that's especially true in our day because it used to be that uh, you had extended families all the way around. You had aunts and grandmothers and, and all these people around to help on a lot of issues. In our kind of society, we're isolated. You're all the way across the country from people that you know and are, and are your relatives. Uh, such a great opportunity for the church to reach out in women's ministries and to minister uh, to these women uh, by teaching them some of those basics that we find in Titus chapter 2 regarding their children, their husband, their responsibilities, and such like. Women. And that's also, I would say, in other, other capacities too. Women may obviously counsel other women, and I've already said something about that, in which uh, I really do believe that as a, if I were a senior pastor, uh, if I had to deal with a, a woman coming to me more than once or twice, I would be so happy to be able to turn her over, or maybe even initially according to the situation. I'd probably want to say, what do you want to talk about? And then I'd, I'd, I'd put that person over to someone who's a woman counselor in the church, who's paid by the church to do that ministry on the staff. The church needs it so bad. There are lots of issues out there, and men oftentimes need to stay away from them. Last of all, then, participation in worship. And let's look at some examples here. Probably not too many of us disagree with the fact that women can participate in singing in the church, Providing music. Now, you can make an argument that singing can be expressing theology, and in expressing theology, women shouldn't sing. But uh, the same thing, women can write a book, and you shouldn't read their books. But I'm not going to go that way, because I think that uh, if what we're talking about in the Scripture, about women teaching, is when they open up the Word of God, not merely as providing information, or singing a song that someone wrote, or like reading Scripture, but someone who exposits the Word of God and, and compels individuals to follow what God has said that they have spoken. That's the function of teaching and authority and eldership. As long as a woman is not functioning in that capacity, I think it's wide open. Women may praise God in worship. Uh, that's similar to the testimony, but on the other hand, it could be other alternatives. Uh, for example, if you take prophecy in 1 Corinthians 11, which I do, to be actually a statement of, of the idea of uh, not telling forth any kind of future events or not necessarily speaking forth the Word of God, but instead, as I understand prophecy and prayer to be something like praise or prayer, prophetic praise or prayer. Now, you want to find examples of what I think that is? Turn back to the time where you have Anna in the temple and when she gave forth her statement or, or Zechariah. That kind of prophecy, a, a prayer kind of prophecy, I think is what we're dealing with there. Women may pray and worship, in my opinion. Now, some would not say that. They say, no, that's a man function. But I don't think prayer to God, I don't think uh, service to God, I don't think worship is specifically a spiritual authority issue. I think uh, the, the compelling of the Word, the proclamation of the Word, those things are spiritual authority. Uh, those are uh, forbidden to women in, the, in mixed audiences or when men are present. But on the other hand, prayer is another issue. They're not praying to the men, they're praying to God. And so in 1 Corinthians 11 you have that. In 1 Timothy 2, I think Consulman has made a pretty good argument in his commentary that in that passage... You, have, you understand the word pray again. Likewise, women are to pray 
Men are to pray by lifting up their holy hands without a lot of strife and doubting and so forth. Women, likewise, are to pray, understood, by dressing themselves, adorning themselves in such a way as not to give offense when they pray to God in the midst of the congregation. And I think that's probably a proper interpretation of that. Participation in the work of evangelism. The Great Commission was not merely given to men, it was given to women. And clearly we have examples of the Apostle Paul in taking around women with him throughout the Roman Empire, even as Jesus had women to go around with him in his ministry. The disciples and women were going together. Paul and the women were going together, and they were doing the work of the commission that God had given to the church. There are many, many places of women's ministry. Time has run out. I cannot deal with more. But let's be positive. Let's work on ways for more participation of women in ministry, and let's stop being... As much as I believe what I believe about Paul, and you're not going to find anybody more conservative on that issue, let's open up and let God do his work in the church through women. Shall we pray? Father God, we give you thanks because you have given us your word. Help us, Lord, to be faithful to the word, but not to go less than nor more than what you have said are based on those principles that you've given us to follow. And, Lord, we, uh, we pray that you would bless the women and the men of Master's College, that you would inspire them to do your work in the Spirit of Christ, that there might be a great harvest for you and the glorification of your name and your kingdom. We pray in the name of our Lord. Amen.